I'm Alex Mosed. Welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. And today, we're going to start off with some traditional incumbents that are definitely not winning the battle against the tech monopolies, and that would be retailers. <clears throat> uh, we'd spoken for the past few weeks here the pain that retailers are going to experience. And oh boy, are we seeing that in spades. Um, Neiman Marcus is reportedly filing for bankruptcy this week. Uh, Macy's is is being downgraded to junk. They're issuing um, new debt issuances, which apparently um, <clears throat> they already have $8 billion in debt. You know, it's only because the Fed is buying uh, double B rated bonds here. Basically, if you look at the bond market, there are the most amount of triple B bonds out of any uh, bond rating category. So the Fed's starting to buy double B bonds, which are actually even riskier than triple B. So now the Fed is saying, hey, you know, basically they don't want anyone to be fared as I was talking about that, that foundation of our economy, that tectonic plate called the, the credit markets, the debt markets. The Fed doesn't want any of that to be destabilized like it did in mid-March. We've seen the Fed buy double B bonds so as to make sure that triple B bonds don't have anything to worry about. So that's the only kind of lifeline here that's allowing Macy's to even entertain um, other debt issuances to try and make it through this period of time. This article is from February of 2020, which is talking about how they were downgraded into junk, right? So these things were already downgraded into junk. 24-Hour Fitness is preparing for bankruptcy here. Um, what else is on my list? Yeah, Neiman Marcus is furloughing 14,000 employees and looking at bankruptcy proceedings this week. Uh, JCPenney, also bankruptcy. It's just going to be a cascading effect. Uh, I think malls are in a similar boat here. Um, it's just a horrible thing that's happening to all of these retail businesses, many of whom were already struggling with digital and Amazon and all these kinds of uh, <clears throat> headwinds. And then on top of that, you know, uh, coronavirus has, has certainly been the straw to break many of these camels' backs. Um, so we're calling it the Covepocalypse. And, uh, you know, I think out of this, you will have many of these retail brands that restructure their debt and arise out of bankruptcy, right? Um, they have these leases that they just can't pay. They have other commitments that they can't pay. They need to restructure. So, um, the uh, you know many of these will come back, but when you look at what their assets are and what is of value inside of these companies, you know that's where I think it becomes a much tougher analysis. Um, maybe on last show or two shows ago, I was talking about. Macy's.com as being a bright spot in that balance sheet of Macy's, right? There's a lot of value in having a top 10 e-commerce property for Macy's.com, even though the e-commerce experience leaves a lot to be desired, to put it nicely, and they have a very limited amount of supply. They're linear. They don't have a marketplace dynamic and all these other characteristics of it all. Despite all that, still top 10 e-commerce site in the United States. Um. Not, you know, but not every retailer has that dynamic. It's actually only a few of them. And 
the biggest ones are, you know, I think Amazon's included in that list and Walmart's included in that list and Home Depot's included in that list, right? So um, these much smaller retailers that here are, are kind of enter, entering bankruptcy proceedings don't have um, any kind of digital or much more valuable assets to speak of. So it's going to be much harder for them to come out of bankruptcy um, and uh, and then regain their stride or certainly attempt to hire back a lot of these employees that are either being let go or furloughed. Um, so just the state of retail, not a good situation. As a result of that, you've seen Amazon hit all-time highs um, in the stock market in the past week or so and you know just a massive shift to digital uh, accelerated by coronavirus. And just recently, Mark Andreessen here had um, a uh, a blog post that he put up of Andreessen Horowitz, you know, a hallowed VC investor, talking about it's time to build, and basically saying that we need to get back to building stuff in the United States. That we need the demand profile, uh, that demand behavior, that that kind of uh, consumer behavior to some degree, but also. Uh, institutional behavior of making sure that we're buying products that are that are made in the United States at both the enterprise and government level as well as the consumer level and now we need to bring back and uh and fill this void and and it's time to build right it's kind of the the ethos of this um so there's a couple kind of points i have on this one is you you know when you look at their site Literally, this is this is their infamous quote. Software is eating the world. This is what this VC firm is known for. Right. So when he's saying it's time to build, he's talking about literally building stuff. And he talks about how, you know, I think manufacturing is only 10% of our economy today, where it used to be close to 50%. So Silicon Valley as we know it, yeah, it's called Silicon, right? But it's not known for its silicon expertise anymore. It's known for its software expertise, right? And that is really where all of these VC firms have have made their money and made their names is the exponential scale that is derived from these software-oriented business models. Whether you have a SaaS business, whether you have a platform business, whatever it is, it's the software scale that can be achieved, which then fits that that VC model where you know you have one breakaway. Uh, home run win, and you have nine or nineteen other duds, but you make all your money for for your portfolio on that one huge IPO win, right? So it starts to become much harder when you say, "What is the role of VC embracing this idea that a lot of manufacturing, you know, we're going to want to have come back to the United States, um, whether it's in healthcare." Uh, whether it's in certain kind of critical manufacturing capabilities and so on and so forth. So um, it's not clear exactly what the role of VCs are going to be in helping that come about. I think they're trying to figure it out and um, issue these thought pieces to see then what people come to them with ideas to to figure it out. But one of the really difficult things with manufacturing is um, just the uh, to to operate at scale, the level of investment to build and have manufacturing processes 
um, at scale. It's so significant. So there's actual multiple tiers to it, right? There's kind of one of the initial tiers is just saying, how do I do the prototyping? How do I get those proof of concept, those initial builds, or how can I um, have machinery that can give me really rapid time, cycle time to create products and initial prototype versions of products? Then you have a whole other set of problems when it comes to scaling that production capability and, and producing thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of, of thousands of units um, in a set manufacturing process. And so you're obviously seeing software and machinery come together um, in, very, in, in different ways in those two environments. Uh, you're seeing companies like, uh, like this company, Zometry, in the uh, custom manufacturing for kind of custom manufacturing on-demand services for CNC machining, 3D printing, and sheet metal. So they've raised over $100 million. And if you need a custom cut metal product, very good for um, you know high profile products or one-off products, replacement products, replacement parts that you need, or in that prototyping, you know, um, creating a, or a mold or di- different kind of rapid iteration type of um, metal products that I need. This is a great option for that. But now when you want to scale your manufacturing to do massive amounts of units and loads, that's not what this business is going to solve for, right? Um, So it's, uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at solving this. Ultimately, it's great, I think, at a high level of how manufacturing can come back and what is the role of software to do that. I think historically, you know, there's stories about Tesla, for example, where um, Tesla had all of the top uh, robotic German companies and I think some of the top Japanese robotic companies that have all these robotic arms that you see automating the manufacturing process. And they didn't like any of them, so they had to go make their own in classic Elon fashion. Um, now, automating the production process for a car and any kind of electronic is going to be a whole world extra of complexity versus, say, automating manufacturing of certain medical supplies and PPE equipment. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think you know, what we'll be looking at over the coming episodes is how do we see that kind of commoditization of the manufacturing um, supply chain or product spectrum, right? And, and, and typically where we're seeing software and where we're seeing platform opportunities present themselves are in the more commoditized areas, say in the areas where you um, aren't handling massive production loads, but you know something like this company where it's more of these one-off specific prototype type of projects um, that might have a higher cost, but they're going to deliver the, the, the aspects needed for you know, very specific, high, you know, fast turnaround time and so on and so forth. Um, but then how do you actually scale that uh, production level capacity in manufacturing? I think that's one of the big questions that we just as a country have been, have been struggling to try and find. Maybe now we will really be forced to try and figure it out. How do you scale automated manufacturing um, and truly scale it and do it at huge capacity? We really just haven't, haven't been able to figure it out. Not, not, not many people have really been able to figure it out without having human labor involved. 
And so what is the role of human labor in that? Um, and what is the role of automating it and using machinery, which is ultimately going to be controlled by software? There is some role for a development platform in that mix, right? Uh, where now I have all the robotic arm and manufacturing equipment, and how can I let people create software to help control that machinery um, and and make different uh, designs and and functions for that manufacturing life cycle? Um, but we're still pretty early on in uh, in getting to that stage. So we'll be digging more into this as we go. One of the easier companies to look at, uh, which I spoke about maybe a week or two ago now, was I was looking at um, what, you know, if we're going to build our way out of this, right, what is one of those companies that actually could build its way out? And what we recently just saw, so Jeff Bezos's shareholder letter came out recently. And basically, the whole thing was focused on um, the coronavirus crisis, what Amazon is doing to help solve for it. They're even trying out their own testing capabilities um, and to create their own test kits. I mean, they're basically like a mini country uh, with at, at, at over a trillion you know dollar market cap and the scale that they operate. So they're trying everything. But what was interesting was just I think yesterday, this company, uh, FLIR Systems, F L I R. Like a week or two ago, I, I was talking about them on the show saying, hey, if I look at public companies that have thermal um, temperature testing capabilities, this was the only one that is actually approved by, I think, the FDA. Um, and so it was just announced yesterday that Amazon has put thermal uh, temperature scanning systems into the Amazon warehouses and, and put all that infrastructure in. So literally, let's see. They were at 34 bucks a share. They're now at uh, 40 bucks a share, basically 20% jump in two days. Here was the little snippet from uh, uh, a week or two ago. I don't know. It was a while ago. But this clip just came out today, um, but it's actually from the full episode from a week or two ago. So basically, the lesson there is you got to listen to the full episodes because the clips come out a little bit later. But here's a little clip on it. The other thing is, with temperature scanners, I've been I've been trying to research some companies here that do thermal imaging temperature scanners. I think that metal scanners are out and and thermal imaging temperature scanners are in. There's a there's this one company that seems like they're the main player in the space. FLIR Systems, F-L-I-R. It's the world's largest commercial company specializing in the design and production of thermal imaging cameras, components, and imaging sensors. They actually have an FDA-approved thermal imaging temperature device already on the market. I think they're one of the only ones with this FDA-approved temperature scanning device. And um, surprisingly, their stock is way down from, you know, roughly 60 bucks a share at its peak. It's now at about $33 a share. I am not a temperature thermal imaging scanner expert, but from the little bit of research I've done, they seem to be one of the leaders. And I think these kinds of companies, I think there's been rumors that there's going to be yet another stimulus infrastructure bill. I think you're going to have hundreds of billions of dollars allocated to health pandemic infrastructure. So that was on April 7th. I was just looking at the date. So point there is, look, you know, there's a lot of ways to slice this. 
it's time to build. We definitely know a couple material trends and behaviors out of coronavirus. Um, we're bringing manufacturing back to the United States, and we have a shift to digital behavior sets, right? If we look at what's happening in retail, if we look at what I'm about to get to on some of these earnings releases, um, but we're definitely seeing this shift in manufacturing. We do have companies here that already are manufacturing in the United States that already do have high-tech solutions, whether it's for products or some kind of manufacturing equipment assembly, you know, infrastructure companies, right? Uh, those like robotics machines. Um, so what are those companies and how can they leverage the innovation economy, the startup economy, and help accelerate what we need uh, in the country today and going forward because of coronavirus? So more to come on that. The shift to digital continues. And that is, so now we're seeing tech earnings coming out. Netflix coming in at a little shy under 16 million new subscribers added in Q1. They were expecting 8 million. So they almost doubled it. This is in Q1. Will that trend continue? Will they, will they, will they double uh, their performance in Q2? I don't know. You know, presumably you'd probably see a lot of, a lot of the uptick in people now sheltering in place, converting in the month of March. I think they will have strong performance in Q2, outsized performance as compared to what they're uh, previously projecting. And, uh, you know, and this is a great beat for them. This is a, a global number, this 15.8 million people added. Domestic paid subscriber additions were expected to come in at 775,000 and international paid subscribers were expected to be at 7.2 million. So that's how you get to the roughly 8 million uh, number. And um, you can see this graph here, right? So, I mean, Q1 of 2019, they had a little under 10 million in ads. Interesting thing there is that they were actually, compared to Q1 of 2019, expected to decrease the number of new subscribers added at 8 million. And now they had a huge beat on a uh, number of subscribers at, at uh, almost 16 million. Um, now, this is a great beat for them all around. And um, what's interesting, though, is when we look at Snapchat. Snapchat stock is up over 10% right now. This is after market. So they just released earnings, you know, once the market closed today, uh, Tuesday, April 21st. And stock's way up. But this is what's going on. I guess it's up more than 20% after hours. Stock is way up. They're saying Snap beats revenue 462 million versus 430 million. It's up over 20%. Now, this is what's happening with the stock market. Honestly, the stock market just doesn't make any sense anymore. So they had, when you look at this, they had a 44% revenue growth when compared to first quarter of 2019, right? And this is what everyone's going crazy over. Wow, Snapchat's so amazing. But if we look at their Q3 from 2019, so this is ending in uh, September of 2019, they had a 50% increase to 446 million in Q3 2019 revenue, right? Compared to 44% Q1 of 2020 compared to Q1 of 2019. And that was them beating their projections. So, you know, when you look at these two relative numbers, I think there's this general 
investor or just sentiment in the stock market, right? If you're digital, behaviors are shifting to digital. Yes, that's true. But when you look at the beat from uh, Netflix versus Snapchat, you know, I think Netflix's beat is much more substantial than Snapchat's, even though Snapchat stock is up over 20%. So my point is we can try and make sense of all of this, but it doesn't mean that it's going to translate into the stock market. You're just seeing a bunch of crazy things happening right now, uh, whether it's oil prices or uh, any number of things that are happening on a day-to-day basis. But certain trends like this, right? The shift to digital is real. You are going to see a lot of behavior change more aggressively shift to digital. And that's not going to return back to the analog ways. Um, some of it will. And so it's not completely gone, right? As, as things rebound, behaviors and wanting to go into stores, that will come back. But the point is, this shift to digital is already happening pre-corona. And now post-corona, those trends are going to continue. They were already continuing going into this crisis. It's now just the adoption is more accelerated to the digital side of the equation. So that's not changing, right? That's only accelerating, and I think it will continue to compound upon itself. You will have the physical stuff rebound as well, but again, the digital is going to continue on that curve. I think we know that to be true in many, many spaces. Uh, And now we're starting to see that in some of these numbers. And then the other trend here is the manufacturing. There's going to be more to come on that, as I think it's a renewed push, um, which will be great, which will be great for, uh, for the country's infrastructure for a lot of new job opportunities, for a lot of new innovation opportunities. What's unfortunate by the, the sentiment coming out of the Valley right now is, yes, you know, we're looking at what are new opportunities because of coronavirus and all these kinds of things, but you still basically hear almost nothing about how to help the existing tech startups that are in such a dire position. Um, apparently, Congress just came to terms on extending the PPP funding uh, program. But, but as we've talked about on the show, there's even debate in, amongst the VC community about whether tech startups should even apply for PPP loans, which I think is ridiculous. And um, what you're going to see, yes, there's new hotspots here like manufacturing and healthcare and telemedicine and remote work and these trends. Great. But what's happening to... a a majority of industries or a lot of other industries that, um, you know, the hospitality industry isn't going anywhere, but it's getting destroyed right now. And so that you have a lot of very strong tech startups in these industries that um, had break even businesses two months ago. And there's no VC funding them. They have existing VC investors. The VCs are just kind of on pause right now. And it's very unfortunate that that's kind of the nature of the dialogue in the Valley is more on, okay, what's the new stuff? And, uh, and, and should tech startups even take PPP money? It's just, it's very disjointed from reality. And, um, you know, the tech startups are really suffering right now. So it's a, it's a very difficult time for them. Um, and I hope a lot of them will be able to make it through this and, and come out stronger. But unfortunately, I don't think a lot of them will. So, um, you know, we'll continue to follow that and, and share more updates. But uh, so far, we haven't seen much of a change of mindset out of the valley, uh, unfortunately. So 
Thank you very much for joining us today on Winner Take All, and uh, we will talk to you soon.